Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 3 to 4 and in the previous episode we started a new book uh, with chapters 1 to 2 and initially we thought, you know, we had some, uh, there was some hazy feelings on whether how Camp Jupiter would perceive Annabeth, Jason, Piper, and Leo all, you know, coming to Camp ha- Camp Jupiter, but it went overall pretty good. Um, Annabeth was finally able to reunite with Percy, and Reyna was finally able to reunite with Jason, and Leo and Piper were able to be introduced to the rest of the gang of Camp Jupiter. So, it went overall really well, and of course Octavian tried to come in here and try to like put some, you know, uh, tensions between them, but it didn't. Uh, he uh, his efforts were in vain as you know Reyna quickly shut him up and said you know what we are going to have a great reunion so yeah we have uh, so now we're going to read chapters three to four to see how this conversation goes and how they're going to plan if they're going to plan against how to fight against Gaia and the giant army so now we're going to read chapter three Annabeth Annabeth wished she had an appetite, because the Romans knew how to eat. Sets of couches and low tables were carted into the form until it resembled a furniture showroom. Romans lounged in groups of ten or twenty, talking and laughing, while wind spirits, array, swirled overhead, bringing an endless assortment of pizzas, sandwiches, chips, cold drinks, and fresh-baked cookies. Drifting through the crowd were purple ghosts, lairs, in togas and legionnaire armor, Around the edges of the feast, satyrs, no, fawns, Annabeth thought, trotted from table to table, panhandling for food and spare change. In the nearby fields, the war elephant frolicked with Mrs. O'Leary, and children played tag around the statues of Terminus that lined the city limits. The whole scene was so familiar yet so completely alien that it gave Annabeth vertigo. All she wanted to do was be with Percy, preferably alone. She knew she would have to wait. If their quest was going to succeed, they needed these Romans, which meant getting to know them and building some goodwill. Reyna and a few of her officers, including the blonde kid Octavian, freshly back from burning a teddy bear for the gods, sat with Annabeth and her crew. Percy joined them with his two new friends, Frank and Hazel. As a tornado of food platters settled onto the table, Percy leaned over and whispered, I want to show you around New Rome, just you and me place is incredible. Annabeth should have felt thrilled. Just you and me was exactly what she wanted. Instead, resentment swelled in her throat. How could Percy talk so enthusiastically about this place? What about Camp Half-Blood? Their camp. Their home. She tried not to stare at the new marks on Percy's forearm, an SPQR tattoo like Jason's. At Camp Half-Blood, demigods got bead necklaces to commemorate years of training. Here, the Romans burned a tattoo into your flesh, as to say, you belong to us, permanently. She swallowed back some biting comments. Okay, sure. I've been thinking, he said nervously. I had this idea. He stopped as Reyna called a toast to friendship. After introductions all around, the Romans and Annabeth's crew began exchanging stories. Jason explained how he'd arrived at Camp Half-Blood without his memory, and how he'd gone on a quest with Piper and Leo to rescue the goddess Hera. 
or Juno, take your pick. She was equally annoying in Greek or Roman. From imprisonment at the Wolf House in Northern California. Impossible, Octavian broke in. That's our most sacred place. If the giants had imprisoned a goddess there, they would have destroyed her, Piper said, and blamed it on the Greeks and started a war between the camps. Now be quiet and let Jason finish. Octavian opened his mouth, but no sound came out. Annabeth really loved Piper's charm speak. She noticed Reyna looking back and forth between Jason and Piper. Her brow creased as of just beginning to realize the two of them were a couple. So, Jason continued, that's how we found about the Earth Goddess Gaia. She's still half asleep, but she's the one freeing the monsters from Tartarus and raising the giants. Porphyrian, the big leader dude we fought at the Wolf House, he said he was retreating to the ancient lands, Greece itself. He plans on awakening Gaia and destroying the gods by... What did he call it? Pulling up their roots. Percy nodded thoughtfully. Gaia's been busy over here, too. We've had our own encounter with Queen Dirtface. Percy recounted his side of the story. He talked about May waking up at the wolf house with no memories except for one name. Annabeth. When she heard that Annabeth had to try hard not to cry, Percy told them how he'd traveled to Alaska with Frank and Hazel. How they defeated the giant Alcyonius, freed the death god Thanatos, and returned with the lost golden eagle standard of the Roman camp to repel an attack by the giant's army. When Percy had finished, Jason whistled appreciatively. No wonder they made you praetor. Octavian snorted. Which means we now have three praetors. The rules clearly say we can only have two. On the bright side... Percy said, both Jason and I outrank you, Octavian, so we can both tell you to shut up. Octavian turned as purple as a Roman t-shirt. Jason gave Percy a fist bump. Even Reyna managed to smile, though her eyes were stormy. We'll have to figure out the extra praetor problem later, she said. Right now, we have more serious issues to deal with. I'll step aside for Jason, Percy said easily. It's no biggie. No biggie? Octavian choked. The praetorship of Rome is no biggie? Percy ignored him and turned to Jason. You're Talia's Grace, Grace's brother, huh? Wow, you guys look nothing alike. Yeah, I noticed, Jason said. Anyways, thanks for helping my camp while I was gone. You did an awesome job. Back at you, Percy said. Annabeth kicked his shin. She hated to interrupt a budding bromance, but Reyna was right. They had serious things to discuss. We should talk about the Great Prophecy. It sounds like the Romans are aware of it, too. Reyna nodded. We call it the Prophecy of Seven. Octavian, you have it committed to memory? Of course, he said. But Reyna, recite it, please. In English, not Latin. Octavian sighed. <sighs> Seven half-bloods shall answer the call. To storm or fire, the world must fall. An oath to keep with a final breath. Annabeth continued. And foes bear arms to the doors of death. Everyone stared at her, except for Leo, who had constructed a pinwheel out of aluminum foil taco wrappers and was sticking it into passing wind spirits. Annabeth wasn't sure why she had blood blurted out the lines of the prophecy. She just felt compelled. The big kid, Frank, sat, sat forward, staring at her in fascination as if she'd grown a third eye. Is it true you're a child of Mi- I mean, Athena? Yes, she said, suddenly feeling defensive. Why is that such a surprise? Octavian scoffed. <laughs> if you're truly a child of the wisdom goddess, enough, 
Reyna snapped. Annabeth is what she says. She's here in peace. Besides, she gave Annabeth a look of grudging respect. Percy has spoken highly of you. The undertones in Reyna's voice took Annabeth a moment to decipher. Percy looked down, suddenly interested in his cheeseburger. Annabeth's face felt hot. Oh, gods. Reyna had tried to make a move on Percy. That explained the tinge of bitterness, maybe even envy in her words. Percy had turned her down for Annabeth. At that moment, Annabeth forgave her ridiculous boyfriend for everything he'd ever done wrong. She wanted to throw her arms around him, but she commanded herself to stay cool. Uh, thanks, she told Reyna. At any rate, some of the prophecy is becoming clear. Foes bearing arms to the doors of death? That means Romans and Greeks. We have to combine forces to find those doors. Hazel, the girl with the cavalry helmet and the long curly hair, picked up something next to her plate. It looked like a large ruby, but before Annabeth could be sure, Hazel slipped it into the pocket of her denim shirt. My brother Nico went looking for the doors, she said. Wait, Annabeth said. Nico D'Angelo? He's your brother? Hazel nodded as if this were obvious. A dozen more questions crowded into Annabeth's head, but it was already spinning like Leo's pinwheel. She decided to let the matter go. Okay, you were saying? He disappeared. Hazel moistened her lips. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm not sure, but I think something's happened to him. We'll look for him, Percy promised. We have to find the doors of death, uh, death anyway. Thanatos told us we'd find both answers in Rome. Like, the original Rome. That's on the way to Greece, right? Thanatos told you this? Amba tried to wrap her mind about that idea. The Death God. She'd met many gods. She'd even been to the Underworld. But Percy's story about freeing the incarnation of death itself really creeped her out. Percy took a bite of his burger. Now that death is free, monsters will disintegrate and return to Tartarus again like they used to, but... As long as the doors of death are open, they'll just keep coming back. Piper twisted the feather in her hair like water leaking through a dam. She's like water leaking through a dam, she suggested. Percy, yeah, Percy smiled. We got a dam hole. What? Piper asked. Nothing, he said. Inside joke. The point is, we'll have to find the doors and close them before we can head to Greece. It's the only way we'll stand a chance against defeating of defeating the giants and making sure they stay defeated. Reyna plucked an apple from a passing fruit tray. She turned it in her fingers, studying the dark red surface. You propose an expedition to Greek, Greece in your warship. You do realize the ancient lands and the Mare Nostrum are dangerous? Mary who? Leo asked. Mare Nostrum. Jason explained. R.C. It's what the ancient Romans called the Mediterranean. Reyna nodded. The territory that was once the Roman Empire is not only the birthplace of the gods, it's also the ancestral home of the monsters. Titans and giants and worse things. As dangerous as travel is for demigods here in America, there it would be ten times worse. You said Alaska would be bad, Percy reminded her. You survived that. Reyna shook her head. Her fingernails cut little crescents into the apple as she turned it. Percy, traveling in the Mediterranean is a different level of danger altogether. It's been off-limits to Roman demigods for centuries. No hero in his right mind would go there. Then we're good, Leo grinned over the top of his pinwheel. Because we're all crazy, right? Besides, the Argo II is a top-of-the-line warship. She'll get us through. We'll have to hurry. I don't know, Jason added. 
I don't know, I don't know exactly what the giants are planning, but Gaia is growing more conscious all time. She's invading dreams, appearing in the weird places, summoning more and more powerful monsters. We have to stop the giants before they can wake her up fully. Annabeth shuddered. She'd had her own share of nightmares lately. Seven half-bloods must answer the call, she said. It needs to be a mix from both our camps. Jason, Piper, Leo, and me. That's four. And me, Percy said, along with Hazel and Frank. That's seven. What? Octavian shot to his feet. We're just supposed to accept that? Without a vote in the Senate? Without a proper debate? Without- Percy! Tyson the, Tyson the Cyclops bounded toward them with Mrs. O'Leary at his heels. On the hellhound's back sat the skinniest harpy Annabeth had ever seen. A sickly-looking girl with stringy red hair, a sackcloth dress, and red feathered wings. Annabeth didn't know where the harpy had come from, but her heart warmed to see Tyson in his tattered flannel and denim with the backward SPQR banner across his chest. She'd had some pretty bad experiences with Cyclops, but Tyson was a sweetheart. He was also Percy's half-brother, long story, which made him almost like family. Tyson stopped by their, crowd, their couch and wrung his meaty hands. His big brown eye was full of concern. A little scared, he said. N -n -n no more boats, the harpy muttered to herself, picking furiously at her feathers. Titanic? Lusitania? Pax? Boats are not for harpies. Leo squinted. He looked at Hazel, who was seated next to him. Did that chicken girl just compare my ship to the Titanic? She's not a chicken. Hazel averted her eyes, as if Leo made her nervous. Ella's a harpy. She's just a little high-strung. Ella is pretty, Tyson said, and scared. We need to take her away, but she will not go on the ship. No ships, Ella repeated. She looked straight at Annabeth. Bad luck. There she is. Wisdom's daughter walks alone. Ella! Frank stood suddenly. Maybe it's not the best time. The mark of Athena burns through Rome. Ella continued, cupping her hands over her ears and raising her voice. Twins snuff out the angel's breath. Who holds the key to endless death? Giant's bane stands gold and pale, one through pain from a woven jail. The effect was like someone dropping a flash grenade on the table. Everyone stared at the harpy. No one spoke. Annabeth's heart was race, was pounding. The mark of Athena. She, resi she resisted the urge to check her pocket, but she could feel the silver coin growing warmer. The cursed gift from her mother. Follow the mark of Athena. Avenge me. Around them, the sounds of the feast continued, but muted and distant, as if their cluster, little cluster of couches had slipped into a quieter dimension. Percy was the first to recover. He stood and took Tyson's arm. I know, he said with feigned, and feigned enthusiasm. How about you take Ella to get some fresh air? You and Mrs. O'Leary. Hold on. Octavian gripped one of his teddy bears, strangling it with shaking hands. His eyes fixed on Ella. What was that she said? It sounded like, Ella reads a lot, Frank blurted out. We found her at a library. Yes, Hazel said. Probably just something she read in a book. Books, Ella muttered helpfully. Ella likes books. Now that she'd said her piece, the harpy seemed more relaxed. She sat cross-legged on Mrs. O'Leary's back, preening her wings. Annabeth gave Percy a curious glance. Obviously, he and Frank and Hazel were hiding something. Just as obviously, Ella had recited a prophecy. A prophecy that concerned her. Percy's expression said, Help. That was a prophecy, Octavian insisted. It sounded like a prophecy. 
No one answered. Annabeth wasn't exactly sure what was going on, but she understood that Percy was on the verge of big trouble. She forced a laugh. <laughs> really, Octavian, maybe harpies are different here on the Roman side. Ours have just enough intelligence to clean cabins and cook lunches. Do yours usually foretell the future? Do you consult them for uh, your auguries? Her words had the intended effect. The Roman officers laughed nervously. Some sized up Ella, then looked at Octavian and snorted. The idea of a chicken lady issuing prophecies was apparently just as ridiculous to Romans as it was to us Greeks. I, uh, Octavian dropped his teddy bear. No, but she's just spouting lines from some book, Annabeth said. Like Hazel suggested. Besides, we already have a real prophecy to worry about. She turned to Tyson. Percy's right. Why don't you try take Ella and Mrs. O'Leary and shadow travel somewhere for a while? Is Ella okay with that? Large dogs are good, Ella said. Old Yeller, 1957. Screenplay by Fred Gibson and William Tunberg. Annabeth wasn't sure how to take that answer, but Percy smiled like the problem was solved. Great, Percy said. We'll Iris message you guys when we're done and catch up with you later. The Romans looked at Reyna, waiting for her ruling. Annabeth held her breath. Reyna had an excellent poker face. She studied Ella, but Annabeth couldn't guess what she was thinking. Fine, the praetor said at last. Go. Yay! Tyson went around the couches and gave everyone a big hug, even Octavian, who didn't look happy about it. Then he climbed on Mrs. O'Leary ba- Mrs. O'Leary's back with Ella, and the hellhound bounded out of the form. They dove straight into a, sh- into a shadow on the Senate house wall and disappeared. Well, Reyna set down her uneaten apple. Octavian is right about one thing. We must gain the Senate's approval before we let any of our legionnaires go on a quest. Especially as dangerous as the one you're suggesting. This whole thing smells of treachery, Octavian grumbled. That trireme is not a ship of peace. Come aboard, man, Leo offered. I'll give you a tour. You can steer the boat, and if you're really good, I'll give you a little paper captain's hat to wear. Octavian's nostrils flared. How dare you. It's a good idea, Reyna said. Octavian, go with them. See the ship. We'll convene a Senate meeting in one hour. But Octavian stopped. Apparently, he could tell from Reyna's expression that further arguing would not be good for his health. Fine. Leo got up. He turned to Annabeth and his smile changed. It happened so quickly, Annabeth thought she imagined it. But just for a moment, someone else seemed to be standing in Leo's place, smiling coldly with a cruel light in his eyes. Then Annabeth blinked, and Leo was just regular old Leo again, with his usual impish grin. Back soon, he promised. This is going to be epic. A horrible chill settled over her. As Leo and Octavian headed for the rope ladder, she thought about calling them back. How could she explain that? Tell everyone she was going crazy and seeing things and feeling cold? The wind spirits began clearing the plates. Uh, Reyna, Jason said. If you don't mind, I'd like to show Piper around before the Senate meeting. She's never seen you roam. Reyna's expression hardened. Annabeth wondered how Jason could be so dense. Was it possible he really didn't understand how much Reyna liked him? It was obvious enough to Annabeth. Asking to show his new girlfriend around Reyna's city was rubbing salt in a wound. Of course, Reyna said coldly. Percy took Annabeth's, Annabeth's hand. Yeah, me too. I'd like to show Annabeth. No, Reyna snapped. Percy knit his eyebrows. Sorry? I'd like a few words with Annabeth, Reyna said. Alone, if you don't mind, my fellow praetor. 
Her tone made it clear she wasn't really asking permission. The chill spread down Annabeth's back. She wondered what, what Reyna was up to. Maybe the Praetor didn't like the idea of two guys who had rejected her giving their girlfriends tours of her city. Or maybe there was something she wanted to say in private. Either way, Annabeth was reluctant to be alone and unarmed with the Roman leader. Come, daughter of Athena. Reyna rose from her couch. Walk with me. And that's the end of chapter three. I find it really interesting how the end of each chapter is with Reyna saying, come on, let's talk to each other. Come on, walk with me. So this will be interesting on how this takes a turn. It was really, the the discussion wasn't too bad, except for Octavian. But it, overall, it wasn't too bad with everybody. And they got some, they, they got some discussing going on. So hopefully this will also go pretty well. And maybe Annabeth will also understand why... Romans are so hesitant towards Athena slash Minerva. So after the break, we'll read chapter four and see you then. And we're back from the non-existent ads. And now we're going to read chapter four, Annabeth. Annabeth wanted to hate New Rome. But as an aspiring architect, she couldn't help admiring the terrace gardens, the fountains, the te- and temples, the winding co- winding cobblestone streets, and gleaming white villas. After the Titan War last summer, she'd gotten her dream job of redesigning the palaces of Mount Olympus. Now, walking through this miniature city, she kept thinking, I should have made a dome like that. I love the way those columns lead into that courtyard. Whoever designed New Rome had clearly poured a lot of time and love into the project. We have the best architects and builders in the world, Reyna said, as if reading her thoughts. Rome always did. In the ancient times, many demigods stay on to live here after their time in the Legion. They go to our university, they settle down to raise families. Percy seemed interested in this fact. Annabeth wondered what that meant. She must have scowled more fe- fiercely because than she realized because Reyna laughed. You're a warrior, all right, the praetor said. You've got fire in your eyes. Sorry, Annabeth tried to tone down the glare. Don't be. I'm the daughter of Bologna. Roman goddess of war? Reyna nodded. She turned and whistled like she was hailing a cab. A moment later, two metal dogs raced toward them. Automaton greyhounds, one silver and one gold. They brushed against Reyna's legs and regarded Annabeth with glistening ruby eyes. My pets, Reyna explained. Arum and Argentum. You don't mind if they walk with us? Again, Annabeth got the feeling it wasn't really a request. She nodded that the gray greyhounds had teeth like steel arrowheads. Maybe weapons weren't allowed inside the city, but Reyna's pets could still tear her to pieces if they chose. Reyna led her to an outdoor cafe, where the waiter clearly knew her. He smiled and handed her a to-go cup, then offered one to Annabeth. Would you like some? Reyna asked. They make wonderful hot chocolate. Not really a Roman drink, but chocolate is universal. Annabeth said. Exactly. It was a warm June afternoon, but Annabeth accepted the cup with thanks. The two of them walked on, Reyna's gold and silver dogs roaming nearby. In our camp, Reyna said, Athena is Minerva. Are you familiar with how her Roman form is different? Annabeth hadn't really considered it before. She remembered the way Terminus had called Athena that goddess, as if she were scandalous. Octavian had acted like Annabeth's very existence was an insult. I take it Minerva isn't uh, quite as respected here? Reyna blew steam from her cup. We respect Minerva. She's the goddess of crafts and wisdom. 
But she re isn't really a goddess of war, not for Romans. She's also a maiden goddess, like Diana, the one you call Artemis. You won't find any children of Minerva here. The idea that Minerva would have children, frankly, it's a little shocking to us. Oh, Annabeth felt her face flush. She didn't want to get into the details of Athena's children, how they were born straight from the mind of the goddess, just as Athena herself had sprung from the head of Zeus. Talking about that always made Annabeth feel self-conscious, like she was some sort of freak. People usually asked her whether or not she had a belly button, since she had been born magically. Of course she had a belly button. She couldn't explain how. She didn't really want to know. I understand that you Greeks don't see things the same way, Reyna continued, but Romans take vows of maidenhood very seriously. The Vestal Virgins, for instance. If they broke their vows and fell in love with anyone, they would be buried alive. So the idea that a maiden goddess would have children, got it. Annabeth's hot chocolate suddenly tasted like dust. No wonder the Romans had been giving her strange looks. I'm not supposed to exist, and even if your camp had children of Minerva, they wouldn't be like you, Reyna said. They might be craftsmen, artists, maybe advisors, but not warriors. Not leaders of dangerous quests. Annabeth started to object that she wasn't the leader of the quest, not officially, but she wondered if her friends on the Argo II would agree. The past few days, they'd been looking to her for orders, even Jason, who, had, who could have pulled rank as the son of Jupiter, and Coach Hedge, who didn't take orders from anyone. There's more. Reyna snapped her fingers, and her golden dog, Arum, trotted over. The praetor stroked his ears. The harpy, Ella. It was a prophecy she spoke. We both know that, don't we? Annabeth swallowed. Something about Arum's ruby eyes made her uneasy. She had heard that dogs could smell fear, even detect changes in a human's breathing and heartbeat. She didn't know if that applied to magical metal dogs, but she decided it would be better to tell the truth. It sounded like a prophecy, she admitted, but I've never met Ella before today, and I've never heard those lines exactly. I have, Raina murmured, at least some of them. A few yards away, the silver dog barked. A group of children spilled out of a nearby alleyway and gathered around Argentum petting the dog and laughing, unfazed by its razor-sharp teeth. "'We should move on,' Reyna said. They wound their way up the hill. The greyhounds followed, leaving the children behind. Annabeth kept glancing at Reyna's face. A vague memory started tugging at her. The way Reyna brushed her hair behind her ha ear. The silver ring she wore with the torch and sword design. "'We've met before,' Annabeth ventured. "'You were younger, I think.' Reyna gave her a dry smile. Very good, Percy didn't remember me. Of course you spoke mostly with my older sister Hilla, who is now queen of the Amazons. She left just this morning before you arrived. At any rate, when we last met, I was a mere handmaiden in the house of Circe. Circe? Annabeth remembered her trip to the island of the sorceress. She'd been 13, Percy and she had washed ashore from the sea of monsters. Hilla had welcomed them. She had helped Annabeth get cleaned up and given her a beautiful new dress and a complete makeover. Then Circe had made her sales pitch. If Annabeth stayed on the island, she could have made a magical training and incredible power. Annabeth had been tempted, maybe just a little, until she realized the place was a trap, and Percy had been turned into a rodent. That last part seemed funny afterward, but at the time, it had been terrifying. As for Reyna, she had been one of the servants who had combed Annabeth's hair. You... Annabeth said in amazement. 
And Hilla is the queen of the Amazons? How did you two... Long story, Reyna said. But I remember you well. You were brave. I'd never seen anyone refuse Cirque's hospitality, much less outwit her. It's no wonder Percy cares for you. Her voice was wistful. Anwith thought it might be safer not to respond. They reached the top of the hill where a terrace overlooked the entire valley. This is my favorite spot, Reyna said. The Garden of Bacchus? 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 Bacchus. Sorry. Grapevine trellises made a canopy overhead. Bees buzzed through honeysuckle and jasmine, which filled the afternoon air with a dizzying mix of perfumes. In the middle of the terrace stood a statue of Bacchus. Bacchus? Bacchus. In a sort of ballet position, wearing nothing but a loincloth, his cheeks puffed out and lips pursed, spouting water into a fountain. Despite her worries, Annabeth almost laughed. She knew the god in his Greek form, Dionysus. Dionysus, or Mr. D as they called him back at Camp Half-Blood. Seeing their cranky old camp director immortalized in stone, wearing a diaper and spewing water from his mouth, made her feel a little better. Raina stopped at the edge of, a ter of the terrace. The view was worth the climb. The whole city spread out below them like a 3D mosaic. To the south, below, beyond the lake, a cluster of temples perched on a hill. To the north, an aqueduct marched toward the Berkeley Hills. Work crews were repairing a broken section, probably damaged in the recent battle. I want to hear from you, Raina said. Amba turned. Hear what from me? Hear what from me? The truth, Raina said. Convince me that I'm not making a mistake by trusting you. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about Camp Half-Blood. Your friend Piper has sorcery in her words. I spend enough time with Cirque to know charm speak when I hear it. I can't trust what she says, and... Jason? Well, he has changed. He seems distant. No longer quite Roman. The hurt in her voice was as sharp as broken glass. Annabeth wondered if she had sounded that way. All the months she'd spent searching for Percy, at least she found her boyfriend. Raina had no one. She was responsible for running an entire camp all by herself. Ambeth could sense that Reyna wanted Jason to love her, but he had disappeared, only to come back with a new girlfriend. Meanwhile, Percy had risen to Praetor, but he had rebuffed Reyna too. Now Annabeth had come to take him away. Reyna would be left alone again, shouldering a job meant for two people. When Annabeth had arrived at Camp Jupiter, she'd been preparing to negotiate with Reyna, or even fight her if needed. She hadn't been prepared to feel sorry for her. She kept that feeling hidden. Reyna didn't strike her as someone who would appreciate pity. Instead, she told Reyna about her own life. She talked about her dad and stepmom and her two stepbrothers in San Francisco, and how she had felt like an outsider in her own family. She talked about how she had to run away when she was only seven, finding her friends Luke and Talia, and making her way to Camp Half-Blood on Long Island. She described the camp and her years growing up there. She talked about meeting Percy and the adventures they'd had together. Reyna was a good listener. Annabeth was tempted to tell her about more recent problems, her fight with her mom, the gift of the silver coin, and the nightmare she'd been having, about an old fear so paralyzing, she'd almost decided that she couldn't go on this quest, but she couldn't bring herself to open up quite that much. When Annabeth was done talking, Reyna gazed over New Rome. Her metal greyhound sniffed, out the sniffed around the garden, snapping at bees in the honeysuckle. Finally, Reyna pointed to the cluster of temples on the distant hill. The small red building, she said, there on the northern side. 
That's the temple of my mother, Bellona. Reyna turned toward Annabeth. Unlike your mother, Bellona has no Greek equivalent. She is fully, truly Roman. She's the goddess of protecting the homeland. Annabeth said nothing. She knew very little about the Roman goddess. She wished she had studied up, but Latin never came as easily to her as Greek. Down below, the hull of the Argo II gleamed as it floated over the Forum, like some massive bronze party balloon. When the Romans go to war, Reyna continued, we first visit the Temple of Bologna. Inside is a symbolic patch of ground that represents enemy soil. We throw a spear into that ground, indicating that we are now at war. You see, Romans have always believed that offense is the best defense. In ancient times, whenever our ancestors felt threatened by their neighbors, they would invade to protect themselves. They conquered everyone around them, Annabeth said. Carthage, the Gauls, and the Greeks. Reyna let that comment hang. My point, Annabeth, is that it is in Rome's nature to cooperate with other powers. Every time Greek and Roman demigods have met, we fought. Conflicts between our two sides have started some of the most horrible wars in human history. Especially civil wars. It doesn't have to be that way, Annabeth said. We've got to work together, or Gaia will destroy us both. I agree, Rena said. But is cooperation possible? What if Juno's plan is flawed? Even goddesses can make mistakes. Annabeth waited for Reyna to get struck by lightning or turn into a peacock. Nothing happened. Unfortunately, Annabeth shared Reyna's doubts. Hera did make mistakes. Annabeth had nothing but trouble from that overbearing goddess, and she'd never forgive Hera for taking Percy away, even if it was for a noble, noble cause. I don't trust the goddess, Annabeth admitted, but I do trust my friends. This isn't a trick, Reyna. We can work together. Reyna finished her cup of chocolate. She set the cup on the terrace railing and gazed over the valley as if imagining battle lines. I believe you mean it, she said. But if you go to the ancient lands, especially Rome itself, there's something you should know about your mother. Annabeth's shoulders tensed. My, my mother? When I lived on Circe's Island, Reyna said, we had many visitors. Once, perhaps a year before you and Percy arrived, a young man washed ashore. He was half mad from thirst and heat. He'd been drifting at sea for days. His words didn't make much sense, but he said he was the son of Athena. Reyna paused as if waiting for a reaction. Annabeth had no idea who the boy might have been. She wasn't aware of any other Athena kids who'd gone on a quest in the Sea of Monsters, but still, she felt a sense of dread. The light flare filtering through the grapevines made shadows of writhe across the ground like a swarm of bugs. What happened to this demigod? she asked. Reyna waved her hand as if the question was trivial. Circe turned him into a guinea pig, of course. He made quite a crazy little rodent. But before that, he kept raving about his failed quest. He claimed that he'd gone to Rome, following the mark of Athena. Annabeth grabbed the railing to keep her balance. Yes, Reyna said, seeing her discomfort. He kept muttering about Wisdom's child, the mark of Athena and the giant's bane standing pale in gold. The same lines Ella was reciting. But you say you've never heard of them before today? Not... Not the way Ella said them. Annabeth's voice was weak. She wasn't lying. She'd never heard that prophecy. But her mother had charged her with following the mark of Athena. And as she thought about the coin in her pocket, a horrible suspicion began taking root in her mind. She remembered her mother's scathing words. She thought about the strange nightmare she'd been having lately. Did this demigod 
Did he explain his quest? Raina shook her head. At the time, I had no idea what he was talking about. Much later, when I became Praetor of Camp Jupiter, I began to suspect. Suspect? What? There's an old legend that the Praetors of Camp Jupiter have passed down through the centuries. If it's true, it may explain why our two de- groups of demigods have never been able to work together. It may be the cause of our animosity. Until this old score is finally settled, so the legend goes. Romans and Greeks will never be at peace. And the legend centers on Athena. A shrill sound pierced the air. Light flashed in the corner of Annabeth's eye. She turned in time to see an explosion blast. A new crater in the form. A burning couch tumbled through the air. Demigods scattered in panic. Giants? Annabeth reached for a dagger, which of course wasn't there. I thought their army was defeated. It isn't the giants. Rena's eyes seethed with rage. You've betrayed our trust. What? No! As soon as he said it, the Argo II launched his second volley. Its porous ballista fired a massive spear wreathed in Greek fire, which sailed straight through the broken dome of the Senate House and exploded inside, lighting up the building like a jack-o'-lantern if anyone had been in there. Gods, no. A wave of nausea almost made Annabeth's knees buckle. Reyna, it isn't possible. We never do this. The metal dogs ran to their mistress's side. They snarled at Annabeth, but paced uncertainly, as if reluctant to attack. You're telling the truth, Reyna judged. Perhaps you were not aware of this treachery, but someone must pay. Down in the forum, chaos was spreading. Crowds were pushing and shoving. Fistfights were breaking out. Bloodshed, Reyna said. We have to stop it! Annabeth had a horrible feeling this might be the last time Irena and she ever acted in agreement. But together, they ran down the hill. If weapons had been allowed in the city, Annabeth's friends would have already been dead. The Roman demigods in the forum had collapsed into an angry mob. Some threw plates, food, and rocks at the Argo II, which was pointless as most of the stuff fell back into the ground. Several dozen Romans had surrounded Piper and Jason who were trying to calm them without much luck. Piper's charm speak was useless against so many screaming, angry demigods. Jason's forehead was bleeding. His purple cloak had been ripped to shreds. He kept pleading, I'm on your side! But his orange camp half-blood t-shirt didn't help matters. Nor did the warship overhead firing flaming spears into New Rome. One landed nearby and blasted a toga shop to rubble. Pluto's pauldrons, Rana's curse. Pluto's pauldrons, Rana cursed. Look! Armed legionnaires were hurrying toward the forum. Two artillery crews had set up catapults just outside the Primarian line or were preparing to fire at the Argo II. That'll just make things worse, Ambit said. I hate my job. Rena growled. She rushed off toward the legionnaires, her dogs at her side. Percy, Annabeth thought, scanning the form desperately. Where are you? Two Romans tried to grab her. She ducked past them, plunging into the crowd, as if the angry Romans burning couches and exploding buildings weren't confusing enough. Hundreds of people of purple ghosts were drifted through the form, passing straight through the demigods' bodies and wailing incoherently. The fawns had also taken advantage of the chaos. They swarmed the dining tables, grabbing food, plates, and cups, one trotted by Annabeth with his arms full of tacos and an an entire pineapple between his teeth. A statue of Terminus exploded into being. Right in front of Annabeth, he yelled at her in Latin, no doubt calling her a liar and a rule-breaker. But she pushed the statue over and kept running. Finally, she spotted Percy. 
He and his friends, Hazel and Frank, were standing in the middle of a fountain as Percy repelled the angry Romans with blasts of water. Percy's toga was in tatters, but he looked unhurt. Ambeth called to him as another explosion rocked the form. This time, the flash of light was directly overhead. One of the Roman catapults had fired, and the Argo II groaned and tilted sideways, flames bubbling over its bronze-plated hull. Ambeth noticed a figure clinging desperately to the rope ladder, trying to climb down. It was Octavian, his robes steaming and his face black with soot. Over by the fountain, Percy blasted the Roman mob with more water. Ambeth ran toward him, ducking a Roman fist and flying and a flying plate of sandwiches. Annabeth, Percy called. What? I don't know, she yelled. I'll tell you what, cried a voice from above. Octavian had, re had reached the bottom of the ladder. The Greeks have fired on us. Your boy Leo has trained his weapons on Rome. Ambeth's chest filled with liquid hydrogen. She felt like she might shatter into a million frozen pieces. You're lying. She said, Leo would never. I was just there, Octavian shrieked. I saw it with my own eyes. The Argo II returned fire. Legionnaires in the field scattered as one of their catapults was blasted to splinters. You see? Octavian screamed. Romans, kill the invaders! Annabeth growled in frustration. There was no time for anyone to figure out the truth. The crew from Camp Apollo was outnumbered a hundred to one. And if Octavian had managed to stage some sort of trick, which she thought likely, they'd never be able to convince the Romans before they were overrun and killed. We have to leave, she told Percy. Now. He nodded grimly. Hazel, Frank, you got a choice. Are you coming? Hazel looked terrified, but she donned her cavalry helmet. Of course we are, but you'll never make it to the ship unless we buy you some time. How? Annabeth asked. Hazel whistled. Instantly, a blur of beige shot up the form. A majestic horse materialized next to the fountain. He reared, whinnying and scattering the mob. Hazel climbed down to his back like she'd been born to ride. Strapped to the horse's saddle was a Roman cavalry sword. Hazel unsheathed her golden blade. Send me an iris message when you're safely away and we'll rendezvous. She said, Arian, ride! The horse zipped through the crowd with incredible speed, pushing back Romans and causing mass panic. Ambeth felt a glimmer of hope. Maybe they can make it out of your life. And from halfway across the forum, she heard Jason shouting, Romans! He cried, please! He and Piper were being pelted with plates and stones. Jason tried to shield Piper, but a brick caught him in above the eye. He crumbled and the crowd surged forward. Get back! Piper screamed. Her charm speak rolled over the mob, making them hesitate, but Annabeth knew the effect, effect would, wouldn't last. Percy and, she, Percy and she couldn't possibly reach them in time to help. Frank, Percy said, it's up to you. Can you help them? Amber didn't understand how Frank could do that all by himself, but he swallowed nervously. Oh, gods, he murmured. Okay, sure, just get up the ropes now. Percy and Annabeth lunged for the ladder. Octavian was still clinging to the bottom, but Percy yanked him off and threw him into the mob. They, per they began to climb as armed legionnaires flooded into the form. Arrows whistled past Annabeth's head. An explosion almost knocked her off of the ladder. Halfway up, she heard a roar below and glanced down. Roman screamed and scattered as a full-sized dragon charged through the form. A beast, even scarier than the bronze dragon figurehead on the Argo II. It had rough gray skin like a Komodo, dragon, a Komodo lizards and leathery bat wings. Arrows and rocks bounced harmlessly off its hide as it lumbered toward Piper and Jason, grabbing them with its front claws. 
and vaulted into the air. Is that? Annabeth couldn't even put the thoughts into words. Frank, Percy confirmed, a few feet above her. He has a few special talents. Understatement, Annabeth muttered. Keep climbing! Without the dragon and Hazel's horse to distract the archers, they would never have made it up the ladder. But finally, they climbed past a row of broken aerial oars and onto the deck. The rigging was on fire. The foresail was ripped down the middle and the ship listed badly to starboard. There was no sign of Coach Hedge, but Leo stood amidships calmly reloading the ballista. Annabeth's gut twisted in horror. Leo! She screamed. What are you doing? Destroy them. He faced Annabeth. His eyes were glazed. His movements were like a robot's. Destroy them all. He turned back to the ballista, but Percy tackled him. Leo's head hit the deck hard, and his eyes rolled up so that only the whites showed. The gray dragon soared into view. It circled the ship once and landed at the bow, depositing Jason and Piper, who both collapsed. Go! Percy yelled. Get us out of here! With a shock, Annabeth realized he was talking to her. She ran for the helm. She made the mistake of glancing over the rail and saw armed legionnaires closing ranks in the form, preparing flaming arrows. Hazel spurred Arian and they raced out of the city with a mob chasing after them. More catapults were being wheeled into range. All along the Pomerian line, the statues of Terminus were glowing purple, as if building up some energy for some kind of attack. Annabeth looked over the controls. She cursed Leo for making them so complicated. No time for fancy maneuvers, but she knew one basic command. Up. She grabbed the aviation throttle and yanked it straight back. The ship groaned. The bow tilted up at a horrifying angle. The mooring line snapped, and the Argo second shot into the clouds. And that's the end of chapter four. Wow, that was certainly a really interesting turn of events. Um, I don't know, maybe I might have jinxed it when I said this conversation might go well. It was going well, technically. But um, this little tiny mishap probably, you know, affected a lot of things. And yeah, I am placing my entire blame of this catastrophe on Octavian. Um, I don't understand what exactly his problem is and i honestly wish that you know he would just stop being so mean but in order to keep the plot going we gotta have characters like this for character development so yeah i am placing the blame mostly on octavian for doing that i don't understand i'm still very confused as to how octavian was able to make leo into a robot that was just on a tangent of launching missiles we'll have to see in the next chapter as i can as it's as it seems that it's from leo's perspective so we'll have to see how exactly or what exactly happened that made leo turn into this and yeah and it was and reyna was at like the point of explaining to annabeth why like more about minerva slash athena and then this had to happen. But, you know, cliffhangers happen for a reason. Um, yeah, hopefully my pronunciations uh, were pretty good this or decent this time around. And, yeah, I'll continue to work on those. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Next week, we'll read chapters um, five to six. And we'll see what else is going to happen with this catastrophe. And whether Camp Jupiter will probably hate Camp Half-Blood. We'll have to see about that.
And if you guys really like this episode and this podcast as a whole, um, and if you'd like to support me, uh, I have linked the link to my Patreon in the description of my podcast. Uh, I also described a goal there that if we reach 50 patrons, I will uh, introduce some kind of some type of benefits. And, you know, that ranges from, you know, merchandise or some extra episodes or maybe some polls no idea but you know i'll come up with something so hopefully we get to that goal and yeah uh thanks guys for listening to this episode i hope you guys had a great time just as i did and until next week stay safe and stay out of boredom